Under a Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 93 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, and demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history, including modern digital gear and techniques. And with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. She practices and demonstrates many processes as well and is our entry-level process and kids class instructor. Welcome, Christine. Good evening. What's going on? We just got back from an event. Just got back from an event. It is Sunday. We uh, we had to leave a little bit early to get to uh, to get to this event, and and you know what? We kind of wanted to wait a little bit of time. And apologies to our uh, you know Patreon and subscription people who who get the episodes early. You'll still get it tomorrow, a little bit early, and uh, also the after show. But we really wanted to go through and and get this what is usually our first main event of the year done. Yeah. And we had a good time. We had a heck of a good time. It was great weather until today. And then everybody kind of hightailed it out of there, us included. Well, we'll at least of, we knew the weather was coming. We knew it was coming. It, 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 we were hoping that it wasn't going to be coming until afternoon, but everything started, uh, you know, going downhill around around what ten thirty? Nine ten o'clock somewhere. Yeah, something like that. But we uh, we had the uh, we had the idea early to to break down our canvas last night. And I'm glad that we did because we have dry canvas in the house, which is great. Always. The um, our our wood our wood poles and ratchet straps are uh, a little bit uh, soaked, but uh, we have them we have them up and a little bit of a fan kind of blowing on them, and they're drying out just nicely. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, we have a couple things that uh, that we've been seeing in the news lately, and we just have a question to see if, you know what everybody else thinks. Um, I've noticed a an interesting trend in in schools. Not a very good trend, but an interesting trend. And we'll talk a little bit about Capon and uh, what we've learned from Capon, and yet one more thing that that you got to think about when you're you're either teaching photography or, or teaching anything really. But we'll talk about that and more after this word from our sponsor. All right, Christine, you said something to me when we were looking for photographic news. What was that? I noticed that several sites had articles about photographers only using their cell phone to photograph weddings. Uh, Petap- I found one on the Petapixel uh, published April 28th, and the title is Photographer Shoots an Entire Wedding Using Only a Smartphone. Here's here's my first, my first question is, now I'm not going to get into the, the, the problem of is a smartphone good enough? tiny sensor you know are you are you getting everything out of a smartphone because 95 percent of your clients a smartphone photo probably is going to make them happy is it the best you can do I probably don't. not but here's my question how how would someone showing up for a wedding or a professional portrait job or a professional job of any kind that needed to be phot- photographed how do you think people would feel about somebody pulling a cell phone and not a camera out of their bag? I guess it depends on the people. And people are thinking that cell phones are just as good as DSLRs anymore, which I'm I I don't agree with, but that's my opinion. And we agree. can go into our reasons here in a I, couple minutes. Honestly, I, I 
my opinion is it's not as good, but more so of the of the look of the look of the photographer using a camera instead of, you know, I just happen to have my cell phone here. Let's, let's photograph this. I don't know this, uh, you know, they're in this episode, uh, in this uh, article, they're talking about the Sony Xperia pro one cell phone, I guess. And, and, and let's, let's pretend that cell phone does great images and I'm sure it does. I mean, heck we have, we have Android, you know, we played with iPhones and they have nice, they have nice, they, they come up with nice photos, but are you, are you kind of painted in a corner? Are you painted in a corner with that, that small sensor? I just wonder if they'll ever be able to get good prints from those pictures. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. The, the, the problem is Christine and I have never shot cell phones and even thought about making them professional, but maybe that's something we need to test one day. We need to, we need, when we go out and next time we photograph something, we'll go out and we'll photograph it with our cameras and we'll try to make the, as close to the same shot as possible on our cell phones and then print them and see if we can get people to, to pick, which is, you know, a cell phone camera. What were, what were our S21, $700? A $700 cell phone that happens to have a camera, or I guess you should say a camera that happens to have a cell phone built in, uh, versus a, you know, versus a full frame camera. Um, I know that a lot of this stuff, at least as far as I understand, I believe the Apple iPhones have, have multiple lenses and they can kind of, you know, introduce shallow depth of field somehow. And I've never, I've never cared. So the thing is, if there's anybody out there that can tell us a little bit about that, please, please get in touch. Podcast at underredglow.com. But my 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 expertise is not on how a cell phone holds up to a camera. You know, we we have a, a local camera club here, and for the digital photography contest, we get a lot of people to submit cell phone images. And that is because our our submission process is very re, very low resolution, and, and honestly, you can you can hide a lot of sin with a digital a digital image. But when we get back into meeting in person and having print competitions, it really makes me wonder how they're going to hold up. And I'm interested. I'm interested in finding out. But but as I said before, my main concern is not that. The photographer is is using a cell phone camera. I remember a long time ago when I first started my photographic journey, if you had a long piece of glass, you could walk anywhere. People, um, people assumed you were with the news or with the magazine or with the newspaper or, or a media outlet or something. And... I can't tell you how many times I walked up to an event or a scene and without even asking me who I am, they, they opened the gate to me, for me. Now, several of those events, I was shooting either, uh, either media or shooting something and I had the credentials and I had the purpose to be in there, but they didn't know me from anybody. It was very interesting and, and it kind of makes me think of, of, um, play the part you want to you want to be almost there's a there's a i know there's a oh geez there is a a saying out there that's very similar to that but what kind of aesthetics are you lo are you losing holding a rectangle up with two with two hands 
um, it just makes me wonder uh, what kind of aesthetics are you losing for yourself and you're you're holding a rectangle not a camera I mean I love the feel of a camera in my hands but how about the other people on one hand I wonder if there are people that are going to sit there and say oh they're just shooting with a cell phone that's not a real camera I mean yeah that's a that's a that's a nice camera but it's only a cell phone they're not you and and maybe maybe the photographer looks a little bit less competent in in their eyes but on the other hand we've we've been struggling for years to try to make people realize that a good photographer has good training has good gear has good this has good that and yes it is training a a good photographer can make you know a 35 uh, excuse me a 110 uh plastic camera film camera with hulk hogan in the bottom corner make images that that'll look good but what about people that that see other photographers just using a cell phone does that does that take away from us at any point by saying oh well anybody with a cell phone can shoot this because no one's going to sit there and say oh that's that's just a cell phone. They're not going to sit there and say, oh, that's a Sony Xperia Pro 1. No, they're going to say, oh, it's a cell phone. I got a cell phone. Why, you know, why do they hire somebody when I've got a cell phone? Right? Right. And I'm looking at these, I'm looking at the photos in this article. Okay. I'm, I'm now looking down the photos in this article. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that Petapixel you know submit uh, allow you know did this article because all of the sky images are blown completely out so there there's your there's your thought that no one's using fill flash to try to keep the sky from going completely paper white um there's an image of uh, of the, the 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 groom kissing the bride with a sun flare in the back and and it's out of focus looking over your shoulder i see it Christine's looking over my shoulder um, I'm not impressed at all with these photos. And I mean, they're good photos, but I'm not entirely impressed with the quality. Um, nuclear white again, you know, the, 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 the dip, the dip, the bride and have somebody off camera holding the veil and let go at the, at the right second. Um, are these good photos and are these photos that, that, your bride and groom are going to love absolutely but as far as telling me that these are worthy of an of an article i i don't i don't think so the out like i said the outdoor shots are are not you know they're they're they i'm very disappointed in that um <clears throat> i have no idea what this is it's she's dancing and it looks like her arm has been photoshopped out and replaced with a a guy is that a mirror no maybe that's something they had printed i don't know it's really weird and unless you were part of the wedding party you have no idea what in the world's going on you've got more photos you've got a photo of the groom smoking a cigar backlit in the sun that's creative but as far as me reading an article, it, it does nothing to me. Are they bad photos? No, they're not bad photos. But I would expect an article um, 
I would expect an article to have if they're going to pick photos from a a a cell phone or you know what other kind of device, I would think that they'd pick photos that that showed less technical issues. And at the at the very end of the article, and I'm not going to talk about the photographer, you know, talk to say the photographer's name because are the, are the are the is the bride and groom completely happy with these? Yes. Um, here's one where they they photograph the bride and groom from below, and it and it adds a lot of weight to them. And um, and then they they quote the photographer as saying, uh, "Well, the article says while he says he believes he's proven a wedding can be shot on nothing more than a smartphone, uh, now he would never suggest giving up the professional camera gear to sh- shoot full time on one. That said, his test shows that in an emergency, it's possible to capture gallery worthy images on one." I agree with that 100%. A wedding can be shot, but do you want to? A photographic endeavor can be shot on a smartphone, but do you want to? I guess if you have no other camera, it it would work, but Okay, if I you're would... a wedding photographer and you don't have at least three ba- at least two backups in addition to your number one camera, what are you doing? True. What are you doing? You need to have backups of your bodies, backups of your lenses, backups of your lights, backups of everything. And then the second you take a card out of your camera, you have it in a laptop backing it up to several drives. And then your assistant takes a drive and then you take everything else. That way, if you run your car off a cliff, the bride and groom are not out their images. Hell, we used to we used to FedEx overnight drives. When we did some of our big, our big, um, our big shoots, when when Christine and I would go somewhere, you know, we would have we would have you know, one of us would take a drive and and go to you know wherever we went and we would we would pack it up we would send it home. We'd put one in her in her luggage, one in my luggage, or you know we had we had two drives and we had a laptop. I would have the laptop, she would have a drive, and one drive would have been shipped. That way, if God forbid the plane crashed, there's still there's still a drive out there with images. When it says in an emergency, it's possible to capture gallery worthy images. I I don't agree with that one though. If you are a professional photographer, a professional anything, and you show up with a cell phone camera instead of your your proper tools. You need to rethink your your priorities. If you're a if you're a a plumber, and you're here to fix a pipe, and instead of a no no don't 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 yell at me in the comments because I'm not a plumber. Instead of the pipe cutter, and and maybe the glue and maybe a torch, you know you you come with a roll of duct tape and and maybe one of those butane torch lighters. Instead of a proper PVC cutting tool, you come with a hacksaw. Instead of the right glue, you you know you stopped at the dollar store and got some got some super glue. It's it's almost makes me think like that. It's dress for success, and and that also comes as far as you know. You make sure you have your right stuff. Can a wedding be shot on a cell phone? Yes. Should it? No. And and that also brings me to believe now. Now, what about the guests? What about you know a, a, a bride and a groom that may have a bunch of guests and and you know you just come out and it 
do you do you have your guests photographing your wedding? What do you think? I mean, a lot of people do allow it, but you have it they they have their place and I like it whenever they ask their guests not to and to let the professional do it. Well, because then let's break that down a little bit. There are problems as a as a professional wedding photographer, there are problems with guests photographing. But let me go let me go to the let me, you know, go to the other side of the aisle first, which is if your guests are worried about making images, they're not being a part of your your ceremony. No problem. You know, we don't want you be to be watching the ceremony through a cell phone. We've paid photographers and videographers to do that. We do appreciate the fact that you you would think of us and you would submit images. Take images at the reception. Please take images at the reception. Because even if I shoot a wedding and I have two second shooters with me going around to the tables, I'm not going to capture all those really cool little moments between between people. I'm going to catch a lot of them, but I'm not going to catch them all. On the other hand, let's go. Let's move back over to the photographer thing. If you hire a photographer or videographer, let them do their job. You're not you're not hiring a catering company and then calling Aunt Mildred and said, "Hey, by the way, can you can you bring food just in case?" Now, if you're bringing desserts or something, that's a completely different thing. Uh, you're not hiring a DJ and then telling uh, telling. Um, Uncle Joe, that hey, uh, bring uh, bring your Bluetooth speaker and your and your your cell phone with you know all your music on it, and play as well. Now it's good to have backups. When when Christine and I got married, I mean, I I you know blew her mind by saying, okay, well, who do we have coming? DJ. Okay, well, what happens if the DJ doesn't show up? Okay, well, you know, we have a route down to okay, we'll go we'll go to the local big box store and we'll get a big speaker and and yeah, we're going to have we're going to have music on an MP3 player that can plug into this speaker and there we're good. Better than nothing. Great. How about the caterer? What if the caterer doesn't show up? Okay, well we, you know, we found a, a local pizza joint, a local wing joint. You give them a call, you say, "Hey, help. I need a crap ton of pizzas and I need a crap ton of wings." You know, you, you have all your backups, but you don't sit there and say, hey, Uncle Joe, you know, bring your Bluetooth speaker and let's have a dueling DJ. No, you just don't do it. Same thing for photographers. When somebody comes in and you say, hey, John, um, we want you to enjoy the ceremony. We, we get this a lot because family members, we'd rather not shoot. And when they sit there and say, do you want to do this uh, or do you want I'd rather just come and enjoy the ceremony, really. We get this all the time where they want you to come and they want you to just enjoy. But sometimes people will say, hey, um, can you bring your camera anyway? I can't tell you how many times we've done that. You know, we're coming to an event. You have a, a photographer. You have a videographer. Hey, by the way, can you, you know, and after you've already told us, hey, do you want to shoot our wedding? No. Okay. Well, that's good because we want you to enjoy it anyway as, as family or as friends. But can you bring your camera anyway? 
And now you're now you're putting me in a in a difficult spot. Because here I am and uh and and we've done an event recently where um there was a media photographer that that um you know, we could sit there and kind of pick apart, oh, they should have shot this, they should have shot this, they should have shot this. But we were there in a different capacity. But the problem is, is now Aunt Mildred with her Polaroid and Uncle Tommy with his cell phone camera, they might think that your photographers are not doing the right job. They're not catching the right stuff. And then that becomes a problem. We have a good way of dealing with people like that when we're trying to get the official images. I look at everybody and I say, look, if you have your cameras up when I have my cameras up, then every pair of eyes is going to be looking at somebody different. And you're going to ruin the bride and groom's photos. And and honestly, that's not that's not on me. Please put down your cameras. And, and usually, usually the bride and grooms will tell people everybody out for the photos. But if I have this, and I did this before I started not really pushing it, I would tell the people, look, put down your phones, put down your cameras, please, because they need to be looking here at this camera and then my assistant's camera. When I am done each shot, I will get, as long as we have time, I'll give you a chance to come in and get your own shots. And there are cell phones or regular cameras or film cameras and like they're on camera flash and we've got, you know, we've got, in rooms, you know, studio lighting in the corners set up. It's, you know, if you feel like someone who dabbles in photography can take away your business, then maybe your photography is not at a high enough level because when your photography is at a high enough level and you've got the equipment and the understanding and the, and the forethought to work with a venue and make sure that you've got everything set up perfectly, somebody with a cell phone camera or, or a, a a a kit DSLR is not gonna hold a candle to you, but it can it be, it can become a problem. It can become a problem where the where the guests cause issues when you are trying to get. You know, there are times when you you have a uh, a church venue and they don't want you getting closer than the last pew where there's a person. I understand that. I have no problem with that. Put on my long lens. Get somebody high, get somebody low, go, you know, work the angles, get the corners, no problem. When we don't have that restriction, you know, we are not the number one people there. And there's a lot of photographers out there that think, oh, I'm the artist. I'm the, I'm the talent. Everybody should bow to me. No, you are the photographer. You get out of people's way. And if you have to get in front of somebody, you sit there and say, sorry, you get your shot, you get the heck out. You try to, you try to duck down. You need to make sure that you are as invisible as possible. It's not the wedding photographer show there. It's the, it's the, it's the wedding. Right. When it comes to the reception, other than the cake cutting, which I know in advance, the photographer works with the wedding coordinator that works with the DJ works with the catering company works with everybody. The photographer knows where that cake is coming out and the photographer has two photographers ready to shoot it. I know exactly where the bride and groom are going to stand. I'm not threatened by other people coming and shooting photos during the recep during the reception. That is when they can have fun. Receptions are boring. I hate to say it. Receptions are God awful boring. 
Okay, wait for the next food. Okay. Oh, there's Aunt Mildred over there. I really don't want to talk to her. She tried to give me all, the, all of her cats, and I, I told her no, and she got upset. You know, receptions are horribly boring. Have something for the kids to do. And you know what? If anybody has a cell phone, encourage them to photograph. And, oh, we'd appreciate If you want to give us photographs, we'd appreciate it. Do that. If a photographer gives you a hard time. Now, of course, if somebody, you know, starts buttoning in and, and getting in my shots, then, you know, that's a completely different thing. But t does that happen? Very, very rarely. I know where the bouquet is going to be thrown. I know what door they're going to exit and what door they're going to come in. And I am ready to go before the before the guests even think, can even think about, oh, hey, the bride and groom are here. We're ready to go. So, you know what? ceremony put your cameras down enjoy the ceremony it's a it's a very sacred ceremony enjoy it don't look at it through a, a tiny lens reception cocktail hour have fun do whatever you want but to get you know to kind of wrap it all back up in a bow i'm there with a giant camera i'm there with an expensive camera the the, the way the camera helps my stability it also gives me all these different options that a, a cell phone can't. I'm not impressed by any of these cell phone photos while the bride and groom probably love them. Photographers are much more harsher to other photographers. I'm not saying this photographer didn't do a good job. This could be this could be the the cell phone camera that that has done that. I mean, there are a couple compositional, you know, what you know, kind of questions. But look, we're all in a different different stage in our lives. We all shoot a different style. Do I think this cell phone camera looks good? No, I don't. Is the bride and groom going to think it's great? Absolutely. Their standards are a lot lower. You know, one thing I realized a long time ago uh, when I worked IT, if you listen to our number one episode with the introductions, I worked IT for 25 years, and I realized then that people really, they don't really know what they're looking at. And it's it's sad. People know that they see something good, and they don't understand why it's so good. Yet, as long as there's a photo of some of themselves or someone they love or somewhere they've been or something they own, they're happy with it. And the reason I found that out about, I found out about that was when I would go in and I would go to different offices and, and set up computer systems, I would see people that would print out the proofs of their kids' school pictures on a black and white laser printer and stick them to the wall with the word proof over their kid's forehead. And they were, they were proud of that. That's your clientele. That's who you're dealing with. And uh, is that a losing? Is that a losing story? That might be a losing story. That may be something we'll never get around. The fact that as long as it's got somebody's uh, somebody's kid in it, even if it's got the word "proof" across their forehead, they're probably still going to be happy with it. And that may be a problem for photographers. Where do we, where do we go from here to to make people aware that we spend a damn uh, crazy amount of time in training? We spend a ton with cameras. I don't care if this Sony whatever cell phone camera is four thousand dollars. 
the person that is going to sit there and watch you take the photo of it, uh, that watch you watch you use that cell phone, is going to think, "Huh, just shoot with a cell phone." I'm looking down more in this article, and it says uh, the Xperia Pro One is equipped with a one-inch sensor. Oh, though it cannot use the full size of the sensor due to space constraints. Oh, come on, Sony. Zeiss lens, very nice. Aperture can vary between uh, f2 and f4. 12-bit RAW. It's still a cell phone camera. I mean, I, I don't care if it does everything and it's got an emulation for every possible lens under the sun. I don't want to be seen as a professional of anything and use the most pedestrian of tools. I don't want to go somewhere where I need to use a hammer and pull out a little tyke's hammer. It's just it's just the 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 thought. It's just the the appearance to other people, I think. I don't know. And and it, let's be honest, at some point in the future I hate to say it, but at some point in the future there's going to be a cell phone camera out there that that automatically AI thinks about where you need to go and will sit there and say, well, there's a tree sticking out of this person's head. Why don't you move to the left or the right? Or maybe the sensor will automatically take the tree out. Or maybe the sensor will fly up in a drone and, and go left or right and, and get that person out of there. Or, may, or maybe you have a drone. Your cell phone has a little little and a little um, four, four or five propellers and, and flies up in the air and, and surveys the entire scene and, and you can say, hey, I want images that are very like Ansel Adams. And it'll it'll make that image there. I mean, maybe that's where we're heading. And in that case, we're not going to have any, any soul to these images. If everything's AI, what 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 luck is there for photographers? But I don't know. I don't know where we're where we're going. Uh my next thing is, and uh, as you've as I, I mentioned last week, I've been uh, I, I really want to get into uh, teaching more full-time photography and the, uh, photography history. I've run into a, a troubling trend. And the troubling trend is, as far as arts go, some schools, they put that money from photography into other arts. And if they are having a budget issue, Photography is the first one to go. Now, here's why I have a problem with that. First of all, I have a problem with that because that means I'm not going to get a job and get paid in those schools, which is fine. You know, Like I said, if, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it isn't, it isn't. I'm okay with that. But the problem is I readjust myself in my chair. The problem is what other arts are there, Christine? Uh, there's... Uh... Working with clay, there's I can't painting. do that. I can't do that. There's drawing. I can't do that. There's uh, music. putting things together. There's music. But Sculpting things out of pudding. I like it, but I can't do that. <laughs> Playing music. Can't do that. Tried it. Tried trumpet, um, piano, drums. Yeah, trumpet, piano, drums. Um, I can't do any of that. There's singing. Can't do that. There's... Making fart noises with your armpit. I can do that, but that's not considered art. <laughs> the problem is, is photography is something that everyone can do. It's kind of like adding bowling to the Olympics. Here is now a sport that fat guys can play. <laughs> fat guys that 
or not at the top of the probably at the top. They probably are at the top of their game. But I've seen some I've seen some fat guys that'll eat a hot eat a chili dog, uh, drink a beer, go out and have a smoke, come in and and and, and roll a strike. Problem with this is photography is the great equalizer is when it comes to art, I feel. I feel that somebody who has no artistic bone in their body can pick up a camera, go through lessons, kind of start looking at art and understanding what they see and they can get up and running with 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 work that encourages them quicker than any other artistic method. And I challenge anybody to tell me something that I that 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 might be faster than that if they're taught properly. I mean there's spin art. <laughs> I can do that. But everybody can do spin art. There's not many weird things you can do with spin art. You've got a thing that we got a piece of paper spinning and you're you're dumping ink on it. Photography, there's so many different cameras. There's so many different ways to capture an image. There's so many different things. Photography is the great equalizer. And even back in the old days, painters and artists were very, they were scared of the camera. They were scared of photography. They thought it was going to put them out of a job. They bash the photography as, as much as possible. Oh, if you want a mechanical reproduction of an image, yeah, I guess go ahead. But, you know, we're we're slopping oil paints on a canvas and we're having artistic vision. We have the same issue. Not everybody can paint. Not everybody can draw. And, yeah, if I spend the next 10 years trying to draw, maybe I'll get good, but I'll tell you what, when I was bored in, in, in middle school and high school, when I sat there and just drew on the back of my notebook all day, every day, it sure as heck didn't help me. Photography is the great equalizer. Anybody can pick up a camera. And while the more you train and the more you practice, the better images you're going to produce, I truly feel Photography is is something that every kid can 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 use and feel good about themselves making something that they vision in their mind or they see through the back of their viewfinder and then they can take it into a computer program. Us computer nerds, we're not good at art. <clears throat> Most of us. But I can take it to Photoshop. Maybe I can clone something out. Maybe I take it in the dark room. Maybe I, you know, maybe I scratch out something out of the out of the negative. It's a technical thing that I think everybody can do. And I'm I'm it really scares me that photography would be the first thing to go. It's kind of sad because there's photography's not just clicking the camera. Well, let's talk about that <laughs> we have a niece just started going to, to high school took a photography class the instructor doesn't know anything about photography she is so disappointed this poor girl is so disappointed because she spent weekends with us she spent weeks with us in the dark room and photographing and and going out on photographic adventures and making making images of this and that and learning what lenses are. The first assignment they had, they had to take a photo with their cell phone. They went into Photoshop and turned it from day to night. That's not photography. That's And this is a photography 101 class. 
she wanted to learn composition and ISO and aperture and she and she knows that she knows some of it but she wanted to you know hear about it in school what well, we've taught her all of it yeah but the thing is is you need to practice and practice and practice and she's been very she's been a very busy young girl and it's been a couple years but she wanted to continue her photographic journey and she's got a curriculum that's the equivalent of a polished turd or something i have no idea I've seen curriculums out there that were actually pretty good. I've seen school boards curriculums. I love it. Of course, I of course I'm gonna make it better. Of course, my thing is is you know not only are we gonna teach this curriculum, we're going to expand on this curriculum. Add in. We're going to do hands-on things. I don't want people. I don't want kids just understanding how that 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 dichromate's hard and gelatin. I want the kids to do it themselves. That way they understand. Now, I'm not going to go into full workshops on, on carbon printing or anything, but it's going to be, you know. But I don't know if this, and, and this may be another thing. You know, there was enough kids in the high school that signed up for photography. And they probably have, you know, one of the sports coaches. You know, the D student of, of the education world. I guess I shouldn't say that. That's kind of mean. I had I had teachers that were the coaches of the various teams and yeah you could tell that the 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 that the the classes that they were told to teach they had to go in and yeah they weren't good. I had one guy a little Irish guy uh Mr. B awesome awesome guy that's the guy I always talk about that uh we I would prank him a lot and he yeah he liked it a lot. But anyway, but he was really good. But everybody else, everybody else says, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so, and you're so-and-so instructor. I'm also the tennis coach. You're like, oh, geez, this is going to suck. So maybe the exact same thing happened. Maybe they realized that kids wanted to learn photography. They had to pick, they had to pick the, the last. They had to pick the bottom of the barrel. They had to pick the last kid for dodgeball. And this, this teacher came in, and I don't know if it was making up their own curriculum or what. But, yeah, they need to be smacked. And, like, we, we hear from her. I mean, what is it? The school year's almost over. And she is so disappointed. She's learned nothing. And she's the only one with an actual camera. And, of course, we set her up with a, a real camera. But she's the only one with a camera. Everybody else got their little cell phones. Including the teacher. Oh, really? That's lovely. The teacher is using a cell phone also. That's great. And the thing that really blew my mind is they have to turn in all their photos at 150 DPI. <laughs> including the cell phone shots that are shot at 72 dpi that doesn't even make any sense and she's like she's like the photos look so horrible aunt chris i was like do you understand what that means and then i kind of explained it to her she's like no wonder they look so bad yeah she's like my picture that's like taking that's like taking a uh that's like taking a half bottle of windex and adding water to it and making more windex which totally works, by the way. But let's now let's think about that with lemonade. Let's take a, take a half glass of lemonade, and fill that glass up with water. It ain't gonna taste anywhere near the same. It's absolutely garbage. It's terrible. I feel bad for her, and I feel bad for the other kids because they think they're learning photography, but they're not. Oh, she did learn a little bit about Lightroom, but I mean, it. I don't think it's the right things to be learning. She wants to learn. 
Well, she learned from us to try to get it right in camera. So if she's taking a nighttime photo and she's done star photography with us, she wants to take star photos. Yeah. It seems like they're they're <laughs> focusing. It seems like they're focusing on uh, just faking, just faking everything. Take an image, fake it, fake it till you make it. But you know we're not teaching them how to make it. Oh well. Yeah. Before we get, uh, and we've been, we've we've ranted way way too long on on those two things. There, um, I kind of want to talk about photographic teaching, photographic history, teaching photographic history, and once again, we were called to to teach a workshop at at a venue, and and it just it just clicks back into my mind one more time, reinforcing the fact that you can have a curriculum. You can have a teaching curriculum. It doesn't need to be photography. It could be anything. But you can have a curriculum under your belt, and you can make it different for every single venue. And it's kind of interesting. I started realizing this when we, when we were having you know speakers come in for our, our, our local camera club, and we would be doing the streaming online. And some of them were like, well, I don't want my, I don't want my presentation to be, to be publicly available. And of course we were okay with that. We have no problem, you know, we can set it that it's unlisted and only our only the, the club members in, in good standing can get can get access to it. But it starts making me think about if you're teaching the exact same thing to the exact same at different venues, at different people, you need to change it up every once in a while. If you're not teaching to the venue, you're probably not reaching most of them. That's a good thought because when we when we go to a venue and and we've got one coming up in June and I specifically said, "Look, this is and and they told us they told us it was a special weekend. They told us it was a special uh, weekend for something they were doing there." And and the problem with that becomes that there are so many things you can add into your into your lesson into your lesson plan that that kind of helps wrap wrap your lesson around the venue or the event or the person or or whatever you're teaching you you need to find a better way to to um you need to find a better way to incorporate the venue the person or the event in your in your photography and yeah. your tra training or lesson or like I said it could be anything it could be any kind of uh, any kind of education whatsoever. And um, you also have to go with the responses from your audience. If they're more interested in part of your talk than other areas, you concentrate on that. Oh, change it up. And, and in fact, uh, I'll, I'll even give an example. I, I had a, I had a photographic kind of history workshop yesterday. And, and one of my things is, is under, uh, under promise over deliver. Right. And the, the whole class, we we're going to go through the history of photography. We we're going to go through how to do this, how to do that. And you're going to see how a tintype is made. We're going to make a group shot. And, you know, somebody in the class is going to, you know, win that, that tintype. And, and the other people are going to go home with, uh, with, with digital downloads. Well, when I get there, I wanted to, I wanted to just do a little bit more. And we made lumen prints, and we've talked about lumen prints before. You can you can search, but it's basically putting um, plant matter on a photographic uh, piece of paper, an emulsion 
on paper, putting it in a contact frame, putting it under the sunlight, letting it do its thing. People love that. But, you know, that's kind of over-delivering. Going in and, and talking about the, you know, the tin types, you know, I brought somebody in and, and they poured the plate. Somebody else poured the fixer on there. Somebody else focused and composed the camera. Um, but the thing is, is, is that venue allowed me to kind of play around a little bit. This is one of the very few venues where I pretty much had carte blanche. I could have done whatever I wanted. They just wanted me to do a workshop and, uh, they just wanted us to do. Christine did a workshop. Was it last year? Last year. Last year, she did such a great job. They wanted me to do just just whatever, just do a workshop. Okay, no problem. I had I had whatever I wanted to do, I could have done, and I was able to mix it up how I wanted to. And sometimes I'll go to a venue and and I'll sit there and say, okay, well, this is a Civil War site. Were there any famous photographers here? Were there any famous images made here? Was was anything special? Of course, Antietam is extremely special because that's where Alexander Gardner was able to get on the battlefield a mere few days after the battle and photograph the, you know, the bloodiest day in American history on American soil. Other venues are very similar. This venue here, I really didn't have too much, too much to go on, but it gave me the ability to change things around. And I loved it. I had loved being able to to mold this class instead of a photographic history of, okay, this guy did this and this guy did this and this happened in history. I was able to kind of, I did a little bit different. I, I bundled up the photographic processes by style. And I went through the, the, I went through the anthotype, cyanotype, I talked about dichromate. You know, I had a bunch of diagrams for, you know, how dichromate works on uh, sensitive surfaces like gelatin. Uh, we talked about um, the, the daguerreotype, the calotype, uh, and, then, and then we ended up with silver. And the, the thing is, is silver was, of course, you know, how the lumen print works. And then we talked about positives and negatives, uh, printing out paper versus developing out paper. And then everybody went out and got went outside. I think it was a good day outside, but everybody went outside and then brought their their put their clipboards together, put their contact frames together, and put all their things in the sunlight. And then we went off over into our setup and we made we made the tintype, and we went through that. And people, and that's where you listen to your, you know, you want to make sure that that you you are available for questions, but you need to lead the questions as well. Kind of get them ex excited. Ask questions. You know, one of my favorite things is to ask who coined the who coined the phrase you push the button we do the rest. And people, a lot of people don't get that. Okay, this person the person of this company that that made this company his name was George Eastman. Do we know what company he made? And usually somebody always comes up with Kodak. Get them involved. You know, talk about daguerreotypes and talk about mercury and how dangerous mercury is. But how many people, when you when you broke a thermometer, and using anybody my age or older, raised their hand, how many people, when you broke a thermometer, played around with the mercury in your hands? Well, that stuff is some deadly, deadly stuff. And these people were breathing the fumes of it. And uh, and it's really, it you, you need to get people interested. And sometimes you're just going to get, I didn't have this here, but sometimes you're just going to get a stinker of a class. Nobody asks questions. You know, 
Nobody answers questions. Everybody's shy. But this class yesterday was just amazing. Everybody had good stuff. Some people brought stuff in to show me. Um, I did see, and uh, and as soon as I get some more information, I think I'm going to share it on uh, on our website. But I a lady came and said, hey, I've got a daguerreotype I'd like you to take a look at. And I said, of course I will. And she brought it to me, and it was an it was an ambrotype. It was a wet plate on glass, painted black. The black was flaking, but the thing is, is is you could see this tarnish ring coming in around the image. And usually that happens with daguerreotypes. This is the first time I've seen such an image where the photographer didn't varnish it, and that's why it was tarnishing from the outside in. The um the 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 lady uh asked me if it, it could be reproduced and we had all we had our scanners we had our scanners with us because as we shot each tintype we would scan it and then we gave people the option to you know you want to download or a, you want to you want to buy a print or whatever but i made i made uh, i made scans for her and i made a print for her and gave her the you know gave her tips on on what to do to preserve it from here and it was it was really cool because it was the first time but because you go to a venue and you're teaching a class on something. Sometimes people just bring cool stuff out of the woodwork. I don't care if it's photography or not. But that's another thing is when you when you teach at a venue, you need to make sure the venue or the event does their job in, in advertising you. I can't tell you how many venues or events. And these are, these are venues or events that pay us good money to come out and demonstrate. And I'll do my part. Hey, we're going to be out here at this weekend and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And I'll even tag the venue in it. And like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, it, it definitely wasn't the, this weekend's venue. I'm talking about venues a long time ago and I'm not going to name names, but you make it as easy as possible. You give them all the information. You even make an event on your Facebook page or make a post or make something. And you, you let them, you give them the ability to just hit share. Hit share with their people. Um, you know, and, and one thing we usually do is we send, we send a, our, our bio packet to a lot of people. And a lot of times they're going to send that to the local newspaper. And they're going to say, you know, they're going to have us in, a, in an article. And, and it hasn't happened really much because of the thing. But we used to get local newspapers coming out and, and and covering us all the time all the time pretty crazy yeah pretty cool and pretty crazy but that's that's the thing is you know make it about the venue change it up uh, like we talked about some of the presenters that didn't want their their presentations online i can understand that i've I'm, i'll never i'll never make fun of anybody for that but the problem is is when you have that you have a lot of, um, you know, you, you you could be taking your your stuff a little bit different. Um, one, you know, I've given I've given history of photography talks to camera clubs, and uh, one one camera club was a digital, creative digital photography camera club. Well, I changed my I changed my presentation around, and and my presentation went from photography history to the chemistry of photography, and in every slide, I told them what they could do and what they couldn't do. Here's how you do this. Try this at home. Try this at home after you take a class. Here's how you make a digital negative. Here's the cheap way. 
the cheaper way and the cheapest way. There are so many different things you can do and, and have fun. When you give the same presentation over and over and over again, the bad part of that is when you give the same presentation over and over, you get, I mean, you get it locked in, but you can get kind of monotonous. And not only is it monotonous to you, but it's monotonous to the people listening to you. When you, when you can change it up, you can have fun with it. But then you may have some stumbling blocks as well. And definitely have yourself a couple notes. You know, don't like a PowerPoint presentation. Don't put everything you're going to tell your students in the notes, but sit there and have have uh, have uh, index cards. We're going to talk about this guy, uh, 1842, John Herschel. And then I have my whole shtick on John Herschel's life and what he did and what he did does and who his friends were. It makes it so much easier. And I don't care what I don't care what you're teaching. Change it up. Uh, if I if I you know get one of these uh, one of these teaching positions, I mean, the the kids are going to to dictate on what we spend more time with and what we spend less time with. If they if they really like the idea of hey let's go outside and let's make some anthotypes or cyanotypes, let's talk about the science, let's work with the science teacher and 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 kind of do a, a group project together and understand why some of these processes work, um, you know. And, and maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't care about this at all. Okay, well, I want to make sure you know because it's going to be on the test, but we're going to move on. You dangle that carrot. You dangle that carrot, and, and I'm excited about hopefully something opening up because, you know, uh, while I, I still give you know, workshops and classes and private lessons, the more I get this stuff into the in the front of uh, of our young people, the more of a possibility that it's going to last at least another generation. And then, and then it's their and then it's their their problem. <laughs> it's kind of like daguerreotypes. You know, we talked about daguerreotypes. And by the way, Christine had a daguerreotype she gave me to um, to demonstrate the class yesterday, and I realized that it's not protected. We need to get uh, we need to clean it up and and uh, protect it from oxygen. But it's very similar to daguerreotypes. When you protect this daguerreotype, you're only buying time. Eventually, that tape is going to fail again and someone else will need to do it. So therefore, the daguerreotype, the, the likelihood of the daguerreotype over an, an, a long enough span of years of daguerreotypes lasting and being archival is zero. I hate to say it. I hate to be I hate to be that guy. But daguerreotypes, as soon as oxygen starts getting to them, they start tarnishing and fading and 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 looking like garbage. Tin types and other other images don't, but it's the same thing. It's almost the, the exact same thing, and it's crazy. I want people to to take these processes and and move forward with them. And maybe you know, and and we always dangle that carrot, like I did with the did the Creative Digital Camera Club. Look. You don't need to be a darkroom photographer. You don't need to shoot film. You don't need to sit there and say, I'm putting my digital cameras away. No. You use it like a tool in your toolbox, a brush in your art. What's an art toolbox called? In your palette box? Uh, no, I guess No, that's... palette is that thing you put your thumb paints through in. and you put paints on around it. Um, I don't know, pencil case, a paint, I don't know, paintbrush case. Well, since Christine couldn't help us at all. Anyway, it is a <laughs> it is a tool for you to use. And a lot of people work in different mixed arts. And 
a lot of people photograph digitally, make a negative, and then put it on something else. A lot of people do that. And that's great. That is your foot in the door. Even if you don't ever go beyond that, the fact that you are buying cyanotype sunprint paper, or maybe you bought the cyanotype chemistry and you're painting it yourself, or maybe you're going out at the end of, at the end of August and finding poke berries and, and gathering them for their, for their dark purple coloring or, or red cabbage and extracting the color or, or turmeric and extracting the color and making your own emulsions you're still doing something. And while we won't have people, uh, we, we only have a handful of people now that, that teach every photographic process, you know, we're going to lose stuff. But, but maybe we can keep cyanotypes around and anthotypes around and maybe salt prints around because somebody decided, you know what, I'm not going to go full in, all in on making making um, wet plate negatives and then, and then going to salt prints, but I'm just going to do it this way. And, and maybe that knowledge can go forward. And that's all I, that's all I care about. Yeah. That's all I care about. It's, it's become a, it's become a completely new life mission. And I found out during the thing that that was my life mission all along. I want to, I want to protect photography and, and photographic history and I want to push it forward at least at least another generation because the more people I get in front of, the more people that I get excited about using these photographic processes, the more likelihood they're going to use it themselves. They're going to keep that nugget in the back of their mind, and, and when they have their own kids, maybe they'll teach them cyanotypes. Or maybe they get that bug, they get bitten like I did, and you sit there and say, you know what, this is really cool stuff. You don't have to teach everything, but... If you teach just a few things, it pushes it forward a little bit more. And some people are just interested in the processes and not the history, but that's okay. It's that's okay as long as part at least some of it's preserved. When I started, I wasn't too thrilled about the history. Now to to round it out, I'm I'm usually the kind of person. Okay, well, okay, here's how to weave a basket underwater. Cool, I did it. Now let me find out the history of it. That if some that way if somebody asks me about it, I can say what the history of underwater basket weaving is. I can understand. Put myself in the shoes of Sir John Herschel or William Henry Fox Talbot. And I can sit there and say, why? Why were they messing around with this? Why were people screwing around with silver nitrate? It was, you know, it was because nitric acid, uh, it was because nitric acid usually had impurities of silver nitrate in it. And and it's it's just crazy how it was painters being lazy that it came up with the camera obscura understanding you know we understood that how pinholes worked and how the camera obscura worked and painters kind of pushed it forward some of our first cameras were just basically lenses and mirrors and and a uh, and a piece of glass off that mirror that you can trace things on it's it's such a it's such a diverse history. It's amazing, and it spans the globe, because not one thing was entirely invented from start to finish in in one location. It's a completely worldwide kind of thing. But I'm reminiscing and gushing over photographic history, and I don't think we really need to go any further than that. Not tonight. Not tonight. Maybe another night. What do you think? What do you think about cell phones for a wedding? 
What do you think about... What was the other thing I said? What do you think about, you know, getting rid of photography as an art? And what do you think about uh, when we talked about, you know, going through and, and teaching and, and putting everything towards, uh, you know, towards your venue, customizing it for your venue? What do you think about that? Am I, uh, am I, am I close? Am I not close? Do you have any other thoughts? I'd, be, I'd love to hear them. Please send us an email or you can connect to us uh, on our Facebook group. Our email is podcast at underredglow.com and your comments might just make it into a future episode. As always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us. All the love and support we receive from people like us on Facebook, subscribing and rating, rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon and subscription supporters. We're starting at just a buck. You got our shows early with our supporters only after show all without ads. You also get some special postings and, and early access to a lot of our video work. Be sure to check out other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along in our darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 93 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if we've earned your recommendation, other photographers of any skill level or process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. Big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening on Patreon or supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to visiting you the next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.